Saver 2011. Coverage by Craft Beer Radio from Friday, June 3rd. Private Tasting Salon, a vertical tasting of Alaskan smoked porter with Jeff Larson of Alaskan Brewing Company. My name is Steve Brott. I will be your, uh, your host and introducer this evening. Uh, I'm the brewmaster for the Free State Brewing Company in Lawrence, Kansas. A um, couple of housekeeping things. Uh, if you have questions later on, it, we, I'll, I'll try to get a mic around to people uh, because we are being recorded and it's kind of nice. That way you get your 15 seconds of fame actually gets carried on for posterity. Um, Saver is now in its fourth year and has already become established, as obviously you all believe, as one of the premier beer and food events in America. Um, Saver is put on by the Brewers Association, a nonprofit trade association representing the interests of America's small independent craft brewers. Uh, I serve on the board of directors for the Brewers Association, and I'm also uh, the chairman of the events committee, which puts on, among other things, Saver and the other little festival that we do in the, uh, in the fall called the Great American Beer Festival in Denver. This year, GABF will be uh, in the last, at the tail end of September. And if you're interested in that or any of the other activities going on in the craft beer world, uh, check another one of the Brewers Association's resources, which is craftbeer.com, where you can get uh, up-to-date information on what's going on, when it's going on, and when you can get tickets, because sometimes they get kind of scarce. In addition to the efforts of the association's volunteers and their fantastic staff and all of you that come and make these events what they are, uh, as well as the independent brewers that are out there pouring their beers in the Great Hall tonight. We have a few other uh, supporters that we need to thank this evening. They are the Reyes Beverage Group, Brewery Omegong, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, Samuel Adams, CraftBeer.com, Allagash Brewing Company, the Brooklyn Brewery, Flying Dog Ales, Full Sail Brewing Company, the New Belgium Brewing Company, Rogue Ales, Saranac, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, Victory Brewing Company, Crosby and Baker Limited, Draft Magazine, GreatBrewers.com, Oak Beverages, Inc., and Spiegelau, who will be providing the glassware this evening. Um, If you miss something uh, that Jeff has to say tonight, even though I know you will be hanging on every word, all of the Sabre Salons are recorded for podcast listening by craftbeerradio.com, so you will have the opportunity to listen to it all again. But enough housekeeping, what you're much more interested in tonight, uh, we have the opportunity to have this guided tour through several years of Alaskan Brewing Company's smoked porters. Our guide will be Jeff Larson, the founder um, or co-founder of uh, Alaskan and truly a master of the vagaries of smoke in beer. Uh, Jeff's background in chemical engineering and a combined passion for beer and fire, which how many of us don't have a passion for beer and fire? I mean, I really... Uh, led him to partner with Ray Daniels to recently co-author, that's not so recently, but co-author the definitive modern text on the art, the science, and the history of smoke and beer. 
Several years ago, I had the opportunity to sneak into a tasting like this that Jeff was conducting for uh, the media uh, outside of GABF in Denver. Uh, it was a real eye-opener. Uh, it was quite fascinating to find out uh, how these beers progress over the years, and I know I am personally very much looking forward to what we uh, get to try tonight. Alaskan is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year and has earned a special place in the community of American craft beer. Alongside their flagship Alaskan Amber, Jeff Smoke Porter has played a big part in the brewery's path to distinction. It is a perennial favorite at the Great American Beer Festival, uh, winner of numerous awards, and there are many that feel that it, it deserves a place as one of the world's uh, foremost uh, smoked beers. Jeff has picked some of the favorite food pairings to highlight the subtleties of these vintage beers, and without further ado, I will give it to Jeff to uh, start the tour. So I traveled all the way from uh, a nice quiet place, Juneau, Alaska, and uh, I come here to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and that's uh, uh, the, the beers that we make in Alaska. We, we started in 1986. In 1986, when Marcy and I started uh, looking at the uh, process of brewing beer in Alaska, one of the things we found was a tremendous amount of historical documentation about the beers made 100 years ago. And in Alaska, 100 years ago is a long time, a long time ago. Um, the gold rush essentially created the first big wave, human wave, that came in and populated the state with uh, um, the non-native peoples of Alaska. And the gold rush also carried with them a, a number of very thirsty, thirsty, passionate miners. Well, what ends up happening is there's a lot of people that support the miners. And uh, one, of, one of the support groups was brewers. In Juneau, you know, we're a small town of 30,000 people. It's landlocked. Um, but in its history, in its heyday, it had five breweries running concurrently. And... They were fairly resourceful. One of the things that kind of uh, was surprising to us was to, to, to discover a lot of the brewers were being interviewed, and, and uh, it, they talked about the trials and tribulations of brewing in the last frontier. And one of the trials and tribulations was supplies. So we started researching more and more about these beers and come to find out that many of the breweries were brewing in malting companies. They were, they were malting their own grains. And at the time, 100 years ago, the only hardwood that would be suitable for, for roasting and toasting the grains was alder. And if you really think about it, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, every town in this nation, if you walked down any street, if you walked into any home, you wouldn't remark about the smoke, smoke flavors or smoke aromas. Everyone's, everyone was heating their home with, with wood. Everyone was cooking over wood. So everything had smoke flavors and characters, including the beer. Well, 100 years ago in Alaska, the smoke porter that we're going to be tasting has a smoke character that we believe replicates what was brewed 100 years ago in our locale. Um, we're going to have four different vintages, um, starting with the oldest, and we're going to come to the, the freshest. Now, the reason is there's a lot of things that happen and, and change in the beer. 
one of which is smoke tends to diminish in time in the bottle. So we're going to start with the oldest beer because that'll have the least amount of smoky character, but you'll still be able to perceive it. Um, when we first brewed it in 1988, we definitely embraced the concept that beer is best when fresh. And even though there are some beers that are very high in alcohol, our smoke porter, which is around 6.5% alcohol, some of the really strong beers could be aged, but we, we didn't think at all. You know, this, is, this was really early in our understanding and path of discovery of smoke flavors and how they impact and change or can preserve the quality of a beer and maybe even add a complex note to it that allows it to age. At 6.5% alcohol, that's a really unusual beer to, to age. Well, in 93, I had a group of people in a room at the GABF uh, and asking their opinion. One was J Michael Jackson, Charlie Papazian was there, Fred Eckhart was there, Ed LaPerel, Don Daldorf. Um, I had a number of other people involved, and we did a tasting of our older beers, and I asked their opinion, because we kind of nurturing brewers that we were, we kept you know, samples of every batch we made. And so we started noticing that the smoke porter was really able to take age well. So um, I'd say with that, maybe we could maybe start the, uh, the, uh, the service of the, of the first smoked beer, which would be the 1993. Well, in 1993, we started keeping a library of the beers. And we stopped filtering the smoke porter. So this is the oldest vintage we have in our library. Again, we're talking 6.5% alcohol. Well, smoke obviously has been used in history as a form of preserving meats and other types of foods, fish, etc. So it made sense in retrospect. And since, since doing some additional research, chemical engineering gives me the burden of, of all of a sudden becoming really boring <laughs> when it comes to chemistry. But I'm going to blame this locale because I went to school at the University of Maryland. And... <laughs> And so, so, you know, maybe you could even blame part of, you know, your heritage on, on, on my boringness. But um, the 93, what you'll find in this beer is a tendency for some of the, the classic age characters that would, you would find in many beverages, in, including beers, that, that is evident. And that is some of those um, sherry-like, port-like characters, the dried fruits from the dark malts that are aging and and oxidizing. But the smoke is still there. It's very distant. 93, I mean, this is 18 years, 18 years old. That's amazing. Um, and, and, I, I, and we broke this out because I would say we're constantly on the discovery of, of how, how this beer ages. At one time, we thought a five-year-old bottle was at its peak, and then we were proven wrong. And so um, this, this is a little bit of history of our brewing. But truly, I think the smoke porter, it's history in a glass. It is part of what was uh, indelibly um, the reward of a miner who got off his 10-hour shift. They worked 10 hours, 10 hours a day, six days a week. Three, I mean, they only had two holidays, and that was Fourth of July and Christmas. Um, the... The other attribute that you'll find, there's another thing that happens with age, and that is bitterness tends to uh, also diminish. So you have some oxidized notes that are adding complexity, and I've got to get a beer. I've got to get a beer. <laughs> um, but there's a, 
There's also bitterness that's de- declining, and you have, um, you have the smoke that's declining. But, but really what, what, what the interesting interplay is, bitterness is declining. You've got some of the residual sugars that are maybe becoming a little bit more uh, you know, evident. And at the same time, the subtlety, where's my beer? <laughs> no, I'll... Yeah, I got a glass. <laughs> I have a glass. God. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, oh, yeah. So how many people catch smoke? Yeah. And, and one thing that, that um, like I said, I, I'm doing is we're starting with the oldest beer um, because it has the least smoke. One thing that was interesting, I've done a lot of, uh, I've had the privilege of tasting in competitions uh, in many venues uh, in Europe and Japan, in the U.S. Um, and I've done this for the home brewers. But one really enlightening thing that we, we discovered when Ray Daniels and I went to uh, Bomberg is we went to two breweries. And I'm not going to name them, but one brewery, you know, they're both very famous breweries in Bomberg that make beers with smoke character in them. And the second brewery we went to just we said, you know, golly, there's not much smoke in this beer. So we kind of made a pact. We're going to be there for 10 days. Every day, we were going to go to a brewery with a fresh palate. So we went to the second brewery with a fresh palate the next day, and we were overwhelmed. The smoke was obvious. We, we realized, truly, even though many flavors can saturate your palate and you can become almost uh, you know, oblivious to those flavors because they're so intense, smoke really does it in, in, in a much more uh, long-lasting way. So... Starting with the oldest beer allows you to have that uh, sense of smoke, and the second beer that'll be younger, a 2002, will have uh, again a, 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 an enlivened smoke character that you'll perceive. If we'd started with a 2010, it would blow your smoke capability of going back in time. Um, one of the breweries in, in uh, Germany, uh, Schlinkerla, uh, it said that. Our beer tastes best after after the third liter. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it definitely is kind of a humorous uh, perspective. But in many ways, I kind of thought smoke is not necessarily a character people expect in beer, and so there is a little bit of a, of a transcendence you have to have to be able to really kind of um, appreciate what, what what's being um, you know demonstrated in, in the product, but. For those people that don't like smoking beer, after the third liter of Schlinkerlaw, you won't perceive smoke because your palate's saturated. Um, so anyway, that was a discovery for me uh, uh, to realize that really you need to, to be very aware if you ever do a tasting with multiple years uh, to start with the oldest and go to the youngest. So um, the, I think the other thing that's really fun, and also, hey, anyone ha- who has a question, interject. Because, you know, I'm, I'm being given the privilege of sitting there talking, and you have to listen to me. Go. Okay. In 1988, we brewed our first smoke porter. We opened the brewery in 1986. The unique thing about 1988, when we made this smoke porter, and I got off the beaten path there, was that we labeled it as 1989 because we released it in December. We thought beers are always best when fresh. And we didn't think that this 6.5% porter would be any different. We were later 
you know, not, we, we later discover that, that we were maybe being, uh, you know, ignorant of one attribute that the smoke character adds to the beer, and that's that preservative ca- capability. So the first beer we put out was in 1988, December of 88, but we labeled it 1989 Smoke Porter. And um, since then, we actually worked with a, a neighbor of ours uh, at, in Lemon Creek, and he was a commercial smoke, smoker, uh, smoker of, of fish. And uh, so he would shut down his operation after all the fish were done for the year and he'd clean up the brew house, uh, his uh, smokehouse. We would come in and re-clean everything and then pr- proceed to toast the mall for, for sm- the smoke porter. Um, well, he ended up uh, increasing his size, and he was going to get a new smokehouse, and he could never re- replicate the same smoke with his new, new equipment. So we bought his old smokehouse, and now we have a smokehouse, and that's what we use for smoking all the malt. Um, so we've been, we've been um, releasing the smoke porter since 1988-89. Um, we do a single um, um, brewing and packaging session, and so when we go to the Great American Beer Festival, where the Smoke Porter has won more medals than any other single beer at the Great American Beer Festival. And, and the interesting thing is, is that's in uh, September, October. Well, it's the years prior, Smoke Porter, that we're, we're, we're delivering. It's already aged quite a bit. And actually, it's interesting. We, we have crew, and, and they pointed it out, one, one of our crew, Curtis, said, you know, I, just, I don't like the Smoke Porter until at least two weeks after it's packaged. And, and, and I asked him what his, what his, you know, what, what his issues were, and he, he described the flavor that definitely is there in the first two weeks, and there's an acrid character that starts to diminish. And that's the one thing about the aging of smoke porter that you'll, you'll definitely see, is it, 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 it changes rapidly for, for maybe about a year, and then it starts to slow down, and then it's, it's much slower in its aging capability. So anyway, here's the combination with the uh, raspberries and uh, ice cream. What do you think? There's a, when Marcy did this, Marcy did this, <laughs> she, she, she uh, suggested this, and actually, I should have probably even suggested this. Is another thing. Uh, I really loved uh, Cannery Row, and I loved the concept of beer floats. And when Marcy and I got married, we did have a couple of beer floats uh, at our reception. But anyway, um, one thing that's really interesting to me, and, and that's the concept of flavor association. Flavor association in this particular combination of smoked porter and raspberries and ice cream, I think the vanilla in the ice cream and the dark malts of, of the porter part of the smoked porter tends to remind me of chocolate. It doesn't, it's not chocolate. There's no chocolate in it. There's malts that are, 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 are roasted to a state where their descriptive term is chocolate, but it isn't using any cacao. Um, but um, here, just give me a moment. Mm. Um, but flavor association—one of the real, <laughs> one of the real sensitive things I had to overcome and just kind of bite my tongue and get over was when people would say, "Oh, how did you get all that fish in there?" <laughs> well, if you're from the Northwest. Alder smoked fish is classic. Alder smoked fish, alder smoked uh, uh, lox, uh, hard smoke, is the flavor. And, and I said, no, 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 we, use, we do use a smokehouse that does smoke fish, but we clean it really well. And then I was talking to a, a, a really good friend of mine, Greg Noonan, um, at Vermont Pub and Brewery, um, who 
made a smoked porter. And he and I were talking, and he said, you know, I was using hickory for quite a while in, in making this, the, the malts with smokiness. And, oh, man, everybody would sit there and ask me, you know, how much ham did it, did it take to make this smoked porter? And he said, so finally I just, got, I, I just got tired of that, and I started using maple, maple, as the wood source to smoke my, my malt. He says, I like the flavor a little bit better. And lo and behold, people started asking me, well, how much sausage were you putting in this? <laughs> of course, I, I, you know, I was, I was here in Maryland when Jimmy Dean's sausage, maple smoked sausage was being really advertised, and it just then clicked. You know, that's, it's all about flavor association. Our comments about fish, his comments about ham or sausage, definitively and distinctly different, um, is all about the type of wood that is traditionally used in those maybe other food products that all of a sudden kindle a, uh, a recognition in your own mind. I'm going to drink my mic and talk to my, talk to my beer. Ooh, maybe we should be cutting, cutting me off. <laughs> um, you know, 6.5%, 18 years. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, there's a lot of flavors that, that can become more complex and less complex. And um, there's an acidic nature to smoke. That's what, when, when Curtis was talking about that acrid character the first couple of weeks he, did, he didn't like, I, I kind of think acrid in that you know, negative sense has a little bit of an acidic edge. The, the number of compounds of smoke is astronomical. I mean, astronomical. Um, you know, there's probably almost uncountable. But the, 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 the most important ones are the phenols, and they tend to be antioxidants. Uh, the, um, the next year beer that we're going to be serving is uh, a 2002. Is it? We can maybe serve it, and it's going to be paired... Uh, we're serving the next two, so we're supposed to make sure that we show patience. And we're going to have the uh, dark chocolate with sea salt uh, is what you'll, you'll have with the 2002. And if you notice, I'm going, you know, 2003 to 2002, that's nine years. Then we're going to go to 2009, which is about seven. And then we're going to go one year, 2010. So there, there's, there's a, it's almost parab parabolic like the ceiling is. Uh, the, the age potential is uh, not linear. Um, it was interesting when I was talking about those flavor associations, there was another, another comment that was made which I filed away and it kind of came about when, when Ray, Ray and I were writing the book on smoke-flavored beers and that was talking to the room master at Schlinkerlaw and he also got accused of using ham in his beer. And in Germany, they use a wood called beechwood. And beechwood is the traditional wood used for smoking hams and was also the, the wood he was using to uh, roast his grains. Um, all wood has, you know, certain attributes that are similar, you know, cellulose, hemicellulose, ligand. But it's the combination of those different um, elements and how they're, how they're uh, processed in burning that create distinctive flavors. A wood smoke from one specific species of wood is very different than another. Um, I've got a couple of pictures on the wall. Um, what, what the whole process of, of t taking the ingredients to make 
the smoke porter. Um, Tom is one of our one of our staff. He's been with us for a long time, uh, longer than this this beer, uh, and uh, we we go through the process of of, of um, simulating the malting process. And one part of that is the grains are wet, and then we have to dry them, and then we have to roast them. Smoking is kind of a complicated. Uh, oh, you're a good man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's actually a combination of things, one of, one of which is one of, the, one of the processes is that moisture tends to allow water-soluble compounds that are in smoke to be solubilized and deposited on, on, on the grain. The second thing that happens is grain is being dried. And that process, that convective heat loss, haha, I have to get a couple fancy words in there. That convective heat loss is cooling the grain relative to the environment. And so there's an actual process for condensation, just like dew on just like the dew on the wing of my plane when I landed here at National, it, water was running off that wing when we landed. I was like, in the tarmac's dry. I, was, I said, oh boy, this is going to be tough for this poor Alaskan. But anyway, um, so there's a, con- there's a condensation attribute. That dew, that condensation is also bringing down some of the smoke uh, 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 flavors onto, onto the grain. And then, then we continue the, the toasting process, dry it totally. Uh, there's a lot more chemistry that goes on. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of vanillins that come from smoke. Uh, a lot of the toasted characters in, in, in barrel age comes from the fact that certain vanillins are created, a class of compounds that's obviously, as it sounds, smells and tastes like vanilla. Um, but, uh, but truly, I think um, it's more the phenolics and the like that come into, this, into play with this, the smoke in the beer. Uh, the question is, is uh, have we ever thought about barrel aging the beer? And we have, um, in small batches, barrel aged some of our smoke porter. Um, and uh, it's really interesting. I would have to say some of those vanillins really become um, much more evident. And, and a lot of times, um, flavor thresholds, once you, you know, it might add a, a complexity in the background, but once it gets to the point where all of a sudden you really recognize it, it's sometimes a different threshold. And I, and I, and I, I was curious when we did a barrel-aged, uh, our barrel-aged smoke porter uh, that we had, like, a very small release of it, um, um, whether really it hit that vanilla that was in, 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 inherent in the wood, plus maybe some of the vanillins from the smoking process, did put it over the threshold because I caught a lot of vanilla. Um, we've used um, American bourbon barrels, um, but um, but that's the one picture of, of Tom setting up the, the grains on on, on the, the racks that's going to go into the smokehouse right behind. And here on the right is is Paul uh, is Tom bringing out a sample from the actual smoking operation. It takes us about 24 hours for each each uh, set of trays to be smoked. Uh, a lot of what we do is we, we're also drying it. Um, one of the side Compounds that's created by uh, wood burning is acetic acid. And so what you want to do is you dry it. Acetic acid will volatilize off and won't have any acetic acid in the malt. So drying is a very important part of that. So 2002. Has everybody had their, uh, their chocolate?
you repeat that? Okay, the question was, uh, is there a smoke effect on the yeast and, and the actual um, beer um, development in the fermenter? And, um, and I, I'd say we, we haven't noticed any. But um, phenolics, phenol is a bacteriostatic compound. It doesn't kill bacteria, but bac bacterially it'll put them in a state where they can't rep reproduce, typically. And that's one of the reasons why it was so effective as a preservative. Phenol, okay, I'm using the word. Well, let's, let's talk about what phenols are. There's a whole class of compounds, but one of the most common phenol characters that you probably notice is clove. That's eugenol. That's a specific phenol. That's just one of them. There's many. Uh, many of the spices uh, are phenolic in that, and they're, in, in they're coming across. But eugenol is a phenol. It's, uh, it's cloves. Uh, I'd say the predominant phenol that comes out of, uh, out of uh, uh, wood smoke that, that I've seen gas chromatograph uh, analysis is uh, guaiacol. And guaiacol is one that's very prevalent in wheat beers. Uh, you know, people talk about wheat beers having a banana, uh, a traditional German wheat beer banana, and uh, sometimes it's a clove, but uh, I think technically more, more often than not that it's, uh, it's uh, guaiacol. Um, so, but no, I, I don't think we, we have noticed um, anything that has happened with the yeast, though I suspect that it's not, you know, if it's, if, it's, if it's stepping a little bit on the bacteria, it probably is stepping a little bit on the yeast. But very healthy fermentation. Um, and um, I'd say, again, though, the ox antioxidant characters of, the, of those compounds from the smoke, plus maybe their ability to sit there and preserve the beer from any long-term storage issues, as far as any biological issues, um, is also probably enhanced. Again, we don't have huge alcohol, and huge alcohol is what does tend to help preserve the beer because of its bacterial, you know, effects. Beer and wine has been around for ages, hundreds, well, sorry, millennia, because it's inherently safe. You can, you can drink too much. You can have a chronic problem uh, with, with beer consumption. <laughs> I don't have that one. <laughs> but um, the reason it's been uh, around is because um, if you drank water in the 17th century... Uh, from a stream in Central Europe, you'd most likely die from dysentery. You drank beer and wine, and that's because they're inherently safe. Nothing can, can live in beer and wine that can hurt man as far as bacterial infections. So when I talk about bacterial issues, it has to do with those bacteria like lactobacillus, which is used in making yogurt. You buy a beer that tastes like yogurt, you're not going to buy that beer again. But, um, well, maybe. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so, 2002. Nine years old. Um, did you catch the smoke character in 2002? Okay, um, traditionally, the only wood that was used for this type of, uh, of, of heat generation for pres preserving fish, meats, and roasting grains was alder. Alder is a, a scrub-like wood um, that is often the, the, the new growth right after an avalanche or, or some other disturbance of the soil. Uh, it's, it's analogous to a lot of that low, low 
shrubbery that grows in many places, like maybe mesquite would be in Texas. I'm not sure. But, but alder is our wood. And that's really the only hardwood we have in, in southeast Alaska. And that's a prevalent wood throughout the Northwest. One of the reasons it's used uh, for smoking is because it is so generally available. So, uh, but we don't, we, <laughs> Tom had an alder um, fall down in his yard, so we ended up uh, chipping, it, chipping it up with a, a chainsaw and taking half a day and trying to... <sighs> but we, you know, we, we were very careful with the chainsaw. We, we cleaned the chainsaw up. We, we replaced all the oil with olive oil uh, in, in the gearbox and then dumped that out, made it all clean, fired it up, so the bar was lubed with olive oil and, and we're chipping up alder. Okay, so um, I'd say we could probably go, go ahead and start on the, the third. So now we're going to go... Okay, well, what did people think about this spirit? You're, you're, Mm-hmm. Well, it could be the other thing. It could be, it could be. It was your perception because that was the first time, maybe in this setting, that you had that smoke, and now we're following it right right away. Um, but you know what? That's one thing about that's a great thing about beer tasting. Uh, I always say it: the best beer in the land is the beer in your hand. <laughs> and 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 truly, you know, that's the nice thing about beer. Is it's it hasn't gotten uh, too stuffy, and quite frankly, if you like PBR, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I think a different palate, a different frame of mind, even on the same day. I mean, who, I don't know. I I I was going to ask you all, but I have had so many times when I've had a beer that has just touched me, and just oh, wow, the flavor. I didn't catch that before. And, and it's like one of those nuggets, one of those times where all of a sudden you're just like, you know, I've, I've had it at the Great American Beer Festival where I have to reach out and tell somebody, have you tried this? This is great. Oh, I love this. You all are such sweet people. Mm-hmm. Oh, watch it. Could you leave that bottle right there? <laughs> okay. Start talking to my glass again. So 2009. 2009 uh, was brewed in uh, August, bottled in September. And so um, this is about a year and a half old. One thing I, I definitely catch is um, the enhanced bitterness. I mean, the bitterness is, is much more evident just because of the fact that it's fresher. Um, bitterness, tend, like I said, tends to diminish over time. Um, hmm. I'm catching a lot more of the, uh, the porter-like, the classic porter-like characters of, uh, of that malt, the roasted malts. I think the 2002 had more of the, the, the plum and uh, uh, some of the sherry-like characters that were obviously there also in the 2003, or the one, 1993. But the, the 2000, um, 2009 is, is much more porter-like. 
without those uh, oxidized notes of an aged beer. Um, I would say, you know, if I didn't know what I know now, and I'd been given this, I would have said, you know, this is a fairly fresh, fresh porter, because there isn't that oxidized note. Um, and this is going to be served with the, uh, the blue cheese and cracker. I'm not using the cracker because it'll crunch too high, too much in the. Uh, One of the things that I think is really uh, fun, I mean, talking about, talking about diverse uses of the, of the beer in flavors and foods, I mean, we kind of, we started almost like a dessert-like beginning uh, with an ice cream and raspberry. Um, and then you have some of the little savory characters of the blue cheese. Uh, the intensity of the porter and the intensity of the smoke, really, you know, it can do battle or it can harmonize. Um, in many ways... Um, one thing that I like like to, to use, I've heard it before from others, but is uh, the the pairing of food and 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 beer can take on an element of um, of contrast. It can complement. Contrast would be something that's really starkly different. And I'd have to say that when you, I think of the uh, the '93 and the ice cream, there's a stark contrast. I mean, there's a brightness to the uh, to the beer that's just kind of it seems like, well, maybe this wouldn't work, but it works fairly nice. There's a brightness with the raspberries. But, um, but with the uh, savory character of the, of the cheese, and yet you have a very intense cheese and you have an intense beer, the beer's effervescence kind of cleanses the palate, you know, mechanically cleanses the palate, and yet it can stand up to that intense flavor. Um, and I, I think we, there's, there, if you hit our website, uh, alaskanbeer.com, we have a... Uh, a query system where you can look at recipes. We've we've been using uh, food and beer for <laughs> many years. Almost our first year, we had uh, contests where everyone would bring in their own dish made with beer to pair with beers, and we we would uh, develop these recipes. And we we put a book out. But what's really kind of cool about them is there's some really uh, contrary notions about what you can use, how you can use beer. Beer in cooking is is kind of complex because you have a lot of bitterness in it. And so unlike wine, which has just acidity and sweetness, there's more to it than that. But there's basically those are the two primary things you have to balance in using wine. Beer, you have the third element, which is the bitterness. Well, we've, we make a cheesecake with um, um, a, a beer reduction of smoked porter where we're taking uh, over 20 ounces of beer and reducing it down to a mere pittance, which is an intense, tense, intensely bitter extract that then is used in, 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 in a cheesecake. Hmm? Hit the recipe. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a great. I'm not a great chef. But hit the recipe. I believe it's two bottles of smoke porter re reduced down to one cup. Okay. Twenty four ounces. Okay. What happens with the other uh, uh, twenty ounces? Oh, <laughs> that's why you cook so much. No, but 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 there there you're taking this 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 intensely. Flavorful product, intensely flavorful product. Thank you for the uh, recipe. Uh, you're a student of our website. I love it. <laughs> but what it is is it's the sweetness and the savory. The sweetness of, of the cheesecake and the savory characters of the, of the, of the cheese part of the cheesecake that uh, balances beautifully. 
Uh, so here you're talking about a dessert, and then you have you know, some obvious things that you can use. I like, uh, actually, the smoke porter does something miraculous with, uh, with uh, like some sort of sweet meat, like a pork. Uh, I don't know what it does, but I think it actually helps glaze the pork so it keeps some moisture in. But also, um, obviously, it has a, 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 an enhancement of the, of the pork if you're going to use it on, on a barbecue grill. Um, yeah. Okay. The, the question is, is um, we've been putting this beer out since uh, 88. Have we changed the recipe uh, during this period of time? And the answer is no. Um, it is a single brewing session. Um, so there are going to be some nuances and changes, obviously, because uh, even though beer is not given that attribute that wine has, is that, oh, the grapes are different this year. Uh, brewers aren't given that latitude. They have to actually be much more sophisticated and finesseful, intelligent, charismatic, and capable. Uh, oh, trustworthy, honest, and brave also. Uh, to be able to make the beer taste, to make the beer taste similar every time. Um, so there's going to be some nuances that are different. But essentially, no, the, the beer is the same each year. And really, what we, we, what I would recommend is, is when you have the opportunity to taste beers side by side, if, if in our case, the smoke porter, you were able to get three or four or five bottles of the same year, start tasting them over time. And you know, here you have the same conditions of, of storage and the like, and you can actually see it develop and, and uh, uh, have a, a, a genesis that maybe works within your, you know, your own uh, appreciation of the beer. But no, the, the recipe is the same. Okay. Um, we brew we brew 12 months a year. This particular uh, beer, we brew at the same time of year, which is the end of August, and, uh, and then we release it in, in November. Um, and that's replicated. There's been maybe some changes. But nowadays, there isn't as much change in um, the beer's flavor profile based upon time, but historically there was. Historically, there were times when you could not brew. Um, and many styles that you would be familiar with um, are due to the fact that the brewer always was challenged with his environment. And so they brewed different styles that became classics or different uh, beers in different times of the year that became classic styles. But really, in, 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 in looking back in history for us, uh, what we wanted to do is touch that same sort of, um, you know, genetic point in time when that beer became interesting and different. So truly, the smoke porter that we, we made was an attempt to go back 100 years in Alaska when that brewer had to make his own roasted malts. Uh, our brewer had a hard time keeping things warm for good reason. It was cold out. And so our, our, our beers are typically fermented at cool temperatures. Those types of uh, attributes really is something that we don't have as a challenge today because we can brew any beer, anywhere, anytime, almost. But there, there, there are reasons why we want to go back in time because I don't think people's flavors and, and sense of, of enjoyment and hedonistic uh, pleasures came and are marketed into different, way, into different uh, um, conditions today. So the beers that were successful 100 years ago, we... we 
told our banker we're going to bank on the fact that, <laughs> that they're probably going to be successful today. And I think in this hall you'll see that uh, evidence. You know, we have, regionally speaking, the entire U.S. represented out there. And regionally speaking, those people are putting out their heart and soul in the beers they make. One thing we wanted to do is put a little bit of Alaska in the glass that we could serve here in D.C. Um, and so I, could, I guess we could have the, the last beer, which is a, uh, our most recent vintage, which is almost a, almost uh, seven months old, six months old, eight months old. So we've been keeping vintages since '93, and we don't have a big warehouse. So, um, so when we were we were uh, asked to do this uh, this salon, uh, we broke out the '93 just because it's one of those events that really I think uh, can, I mean, puts it in in context of what we're trying to, what we're trying to do. So how much do we keep? The question was uh, how much of our uh, of, of the beer runs do we keep for vintage? Uh, Barely a pallet of beer, which is maybe about you know anywhere from 60 cases or so. So um, we we don't have that much 93 left, um, and um, so we we use it as a as a platform to talk about aging. I think um, really I think what what, what we want to do is when we we make the run, we sell the beer, it's gone. It's up to the individual to to to, to sell it and uh, keep the beer and then enjoy that that. Uh, that development of, of, of its age and, and uh, character as, as it sits in their cellar. Right. Well, um, I'd have to say that, that um, the beer can take quite a variance in condition. In 93, I don't think we had the latitude to be able to be as exact as we are today. But now, now we're, we, we keep the beer in uh, a range of between like 50 degrees and 60 degrees. Um, and, and, but I'd have to say that, that, quite frankly, as long as you're not hammering it with uh, a garage that get, gets up to uh, 80, you, you could probably do pretty well. Um, because I have to admit, the 93 did get um, some some pretty warm temperature storage periods. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking 80, but I'm talking, you know, the upper 70s. And combine that with time, because oxidation and aging of any product is a time-temperature relationship. The higher the temperature, the faster it will, quote-unquote, do its aging. Uh, so the 93s probably had, didn't have the TLC as the uh, more recent vintages. He's not giving me the bottle anymore. Have you noticed? Okay, so uh, what we're serving with this is um, uh, salmon jerky. <laughs> um, the um, the beer is is, is going to be as smoky as you're going to have right now at this time, but the salmon jerky is probably much more intensely smoky. Um, and it's again, it's salmon jerky made uh, with alder. Uh, this particular variety of salmon has the lowest oil content of any salmon. Um, it's uh, 
think, should be, uh, called Kita, marketing-wise. It's also called Chum Salmon. Um, but it has the lowest oil content, and that's why it could be made into, into, into jerky, which is uh, truly a jerky, just like you would have of any other thing, real chewy, dry, and, you know, great to have in a campfire when there's no bears out um, and, a, and a bottle of beer. So 2010, you know, again, I'd say, you, can, you, can, you know, again, you're, you're going to catch some of the other elements of the beer. There's some hop, hop, hop elements in the aromatics, um, and that, they weren't there in the earlier vintages. Hop aromatics disappear fairly, very quick, much quicker than, than bitterness. Um, so I think of jerky in the wild. There's five species of salmon. There's uh, sockeye, which is also called red, silver, which is called uh, coho, king, which is called uh, uh, chinook, and then this uh, is, is uh, chum, and it's also called dog salmon. And then what species, what species do they leave out? Silver, silver, king, chum, sockeye, and pink. Oh, pink salmon. Pink salmon is the, the one you get in the, in the store, the salmon can. That's pink salmon. Um, but those are the five species. And this particular species works best for a jerky. Uh, I would say silver salmon is the best for poaching. Uh, I would say king salmon is the best for barbecuing. Well, eh, it's pretty darn close to sockeye. Sockeye is also nicknamed red because it has the reddest flesh. It's often what's used for, for making locks. Uh, but the king has the highest oil content for barbecuing it straight because it's more, most forgiving. Um, anyway, um, that's a departure. Um, some, somebody was asking? We use uh, two different varieties. Um, there's uh, Willamette and Chinooks in us. Um, but again, you know, one thing about uh, beers, it's a balance of flavors, and sometimes... Uh, the, the real the interesting trick is to make those beers have a character that could maybe impact you differently each day. We were talking about that. Psychologically, but you, a different temperament, a different food pairing, a different uh, environment, a different you know, uh, 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 celebration can create a different effect for the, for the product being consumed for the individual. Uh, it's very much a personal thing. It's a very much a, a kind of an instance of uh, consumption thing. Um, well, let's see. The question is regarding a barley one that we also make, which actually is kind of a classic traditional beer that's, that's ageable. Um, and I think the question was in regards to are, are we aging that? Uh, are we, if we aren't, why, why aren't we? Um, we are. Um, it's at a personal level. I don't think we're, we're doing it as much with the smoke porter. We have a limited uh, storage space at the warehouse. Um, and so... The smoke porter is probably taking our dominant uh, uh, focus. Um, the barley wine, again, you know, the, these styles that we talk about, including uh, smoke porter, really, you know, there's, there's an attention for the, the beer to be consumed in a certain fashion. And actually, the barley wine we, we make, we actually intend to be consumed fresh. 
it in, ends up that it is a little bit different. And uh, while I think many, many might like the older characters of barley wine, we really intend for this, uh, this, this beverage to have that hoppiness in the nose and, and the flavor profile so that it's best, you know, it's, 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 it's really at its peak maybe six months to a year into its life. Uh, but I'll be proven wrong someday, and all of a sudden we'll be having a library of an arm here. <laughs> but... Um, Steve, how are we doing on time? Um, question is, when, when, when are we going to distribute uh, to the East Coast? Um, no, no, no. Well, the thing is, is that there's bootlegging going on, I've heard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we're, we're as far east as Minnesota right now. And uh, we're, kinda, we're mainly on the, on, on the West Coast in the Rockies. And uh, we're, we're ignoring Utah. And then, uh, but I, I would say it, it, it'd be a while. So... So come up to Alaska, take a cruise, enjoy the beer. Um, no, that's, well, that's right. Alaska Airlines has it on, on board. Yeah. Oh, there, yeah. Well, yeah. It's an expensive way to do it, but, there, yeah, there are, there are venues with which you can order, order the beer, beer, and there's certain markets that don't allow importation via mail. Yeah, Belmont. Is Belmont, uh, actually, is Belmont Station still doing... Yeah. Okay. And um, generally, for those people, those uh, uh, people that are shipping the beer, and they kind of make that as one of their primary, uh, or one of one of their focuses, they they tend to order uh, smoke porter, so it does go all over the place. Um, I was in a Lebanese restaurant. In London, I'm sitting there with this shirt on, and I'm having I'm having couscous with uh, um, nasturtium berries and uh, caper berries, and um, guy comes up to me and says, "Oh, smoked porter, very good beer." <laughs> um, that's one thing I think that uh, one thing I want to impart to you all is the opportunity that we've I've had uh, in judging with other people. They're, they're totally floored at what, what opportunities we have as consumers in this country. Um, the amount of beer, the, the broad range of styles. Uh, many of the styles that are of classic names, uh, I think the American brewing scene has gone to the absolute extreme of, of the expression of those styles. And um, maybe some to an extreme that maybe wouldn't be recognizable to the, orig- the originators of those styles. But the brewers are in, all over the world are envious of what, what's happening here in the U.S. And I think the evidence of what you see out there in that hall is exactly what gives us an amazing opportunity to have phenomenal products at you know, extraordinarily affordable prices. I mean, we're talking for, I say, a dollar two more a bottle of beer, and you can have a world-class beverage. And you can't say that about wine, and you can't say that about spirits. And our forefathers, our forefathers... <laughs> believe beer was a beverage of moderation. Well, rum and gin were a lot easier to transport, and beer was much more difficult. Um, 
but beer was a, a better beverage for the health and, and, and sociability of people. Um, and the other thing that, that was evident at the time of uh, our revolution, um, kind of nucleated in this, in this region of the country, was the fact that the Brits thought that those taverns serving beer was the seat of revolutionary discussions. And they wanted to limit tavern laws, taverns and their ability. And there was a, a young, young man whose father, uh, Mr. Hale, had, a, had, a, had, a, had his bar and he was working at it. And Nathan Hale was in his bar listening to these revolutionaries talking. And uh, Nathan Hale um, appreciated good beer, served good beer, and he's part of our hi history and heritage just like beer is. And so to you all, I'll be here for a bit, so just go ahead and accost me. Thank you. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find more information on Savor or further podcasts, visit craftbeerradio.com slash savor or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.